0: Boys,
1: We're back. V, you just came back from Manhattan. But uh, when you were up there, it was it was not the New York you remember, thanks to these forest fires.
0: Yeah, honestly, it felt like if somebody was shooting a movie, they could have done it at a really low cost, like one of these apocalypse movies, because it really did look like the apocalypse. It was like the entire city was like in this orange haze. And it was it was it's crazy. I remember on the first day that it hit, I was like, why is the sky looking like this? We were on a rooftop. And then I Googled it, and they said it was these wildfires. And it's like, when you look into this story, it's pretty amazing when you look at nature and you look at a lot of these things that we discuss. Overall, these wildfires started in Canada, and they hit Manhattan and throughout areas of the Midwest that are close to Canada, just the, the idea that these wildfires were sparked. I think they've burnt like 73 million acres, which is like the state, uh, the size of the state of Delaware already. Um, and it just brings up an interesting conversation around the whole concept of global warming. Um, these wildfires which you're all too familiar with happening seasonally in California but it is a it is a surprise when it hits it's never happened in a city like New York but its proximity to Canada I guess the wind blew that's how serious the damage has been with these wildfires out there in Canada
1: yeah, dude, it's it's literally so crazy. And like, obviously, like I, I've experienced it, like I experienced it the first time when that there was that big Westwood fire in L.A. a few years back. Yeah. And then um, last year I had one literally like right on the hill I live on. So I was in the evacuation zone. I ended up staying, which was fine. But <laughs> yeah. it was like it was definitely like the first time that I was like legitimately asking myself the question, like, do I have to leave my house because of a fire nearby? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. I think there's no doubt that the climate is changing. And the question that, you know, I have in my mind when I see this type of imagery and stuff is like every major religion, every major culture has predicted like a second coming kind of future time that would be marked by these types of rapid and drastic environmental changes and natural, natural phenomenon that in a way, like, kind of feel like a cleansing of the earth, you know? And so like fire, fire has so much symbolism, so much meaning just like, it just feels like something spiritual seems to be happening with the way that this stuff is, is going down, at least to me, you know?
0: Yeah. It's very interesting, when you look even outside the spiritual realm and you just go into the facts that human beings more damage to this earth than any other species, right? We're the only ones that kind of destroy it with our technical technological advances, but even more so on a simple level. I was looking at some studies on like population growth and how it's declining, you know, in the United States and birth rates are declining. It was an interesting tidbit within it that literally the population growth that we've seen from like for, for the majority of the existence of Earth, it, even a, bil- a billion people didn't even exist overall on the mm. entire Earth. Now we're looking at 7 billion human beings who all are consuming and taking away from the environment. There's going to be a natural effect that that has. And it's just like ignoring the problem and saying that science isn't real, that climate change isn't real because it's not convenient From a capitalist or business standpoint, the rubber is going to meet the road at a certain point where it's like you are doing more damage and it's going to impact people. Nobody wants to. New York City for that day was the most polluted city in the world. And New York isn't the cleanest place to start with. But when you start having these impacts and people are having respiratory issues and other, other related issues, right? It's the first time people had to wear a mask. It felt like we were back in COVID where everybody was wearing a mask. Do you want the population to live under those type of circumstances or are we going to properly address all of the issues that we create as a, as, as a race to impact this environment and try to curb them? um, in a more positive direction.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I totally agree with you. And I think one thing that, that I've had on my mind about this a lot is I wonder how much we can even do to slow it down, you know, because, you know, by, by all studies, by a lot of stuff that, um, that is happening from a climate change and weather change perspective, even if you were to remove the human impact you still have about 90% of it that's unaccounted for in terms of we don't understand why that's happening. And I think that across the thousands and thousands of years of evidence we have of the earth's progression, there's been plenty of global heating and global cooling periods. So where my mind tends to go is that, is there an inevitability to what we're going through, and what does that mean? Because if you think about, like, even even as as early as I think it was like six hundred years ago, eight hundred years ago, the Sahara Desert used to be a complete lush ecosystem. It wasn't a yeah. desert at all, right? So it's like, is it that unfathomable? Unfathomable that maybe like all of this land between California's coast and you know Vegas, let's say, is gonna be like a, a lake, like is that unfathomable or is it going to go, you know, a different direction? Like that's really where my mind tends to go with this stuff is like, whether or not we reduce our impact, like I tend to feel that we're kind of headed somewhere. We're not going to be able to turn back from. And I just don't know if we as humans, like I think it's almost arrogant as a species to think we have the power to control the whole planet in that sense too. Like there's obviously an impact we're making, no doubt. There's obviously things we can do, to get cleaner, get better, all of those things we should do. But from an overall perspective, like even the solutions that we've had, like electric cars, like we're creating as much waste, like powering the electric cars as we were in the previous scenario. So what are we really like able to do?
0: Yeah. And it's, I think it's hard for us as a species to even swallow the fact that There was a time that we didn't exist on this planet. Right. (laughs) And and it's there's been more time that this earth has existed that we haven't been a part of it than there is that we have been. We've just been the people that have come around and done the most damage to it since since we started. And to, to kind of address your spiritual side of this, I mean, when you look at the direction that society is going in, you know, to kind of make a statement, you can definitely see that the world is rapidly changing and whether you agree with it or not, there really isn't much of a moral compass that exists. Everything goes, there isn't, there's just a lot of conflict between people. Um, people are not working to make it a better place. Everybody is kind of working to divide and conquer the world. Even when you look at politics, what you look at how, Even structures of government are set up and how human human race is. It's a giant power structure in which there are a handful of people who are controlling the resources at the top, and those people honestly, look at all of this as collateral damage because it's not impacting them directly, right? They're not feeling the effects the same way as a common person is, nor how the fish in the water are feeling it or the birds that are flying through this are feeling it and so they don't give a damn, right? And so I just don't know. I mean, and and to your point, like if you look at evolution, there are these periods where, things get destroyed to rebuild, to be rebuilt. and the reality is is that we might be moving closer to something like that because the power of mother nature is not something to be played with right You can only push for us we, we actually look at this very spiritually as Hindus that the gods do control this you know the, the I guess the more spiritual general spiritual place look at it and they call it Mother nature. Um, but you can only slap somebody or something so many times before it responds. And however you look at this, this is a direct response to how we treat our environment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I don't see a path for us to reduce emissions. I don't see our population is still growing, even though the growth rate is decreasing it in biology. They have this concept of carrying capacity. And it just makes me consider that maybe this is part of what the friction feels like when, you know, you have an environment that is getting nearer to its carrying capacity. Like the reason that the growth rate is slowing is because the access to resources is not as strong anymore. And like, The real reason access to resources isn't that strong anymore is just it's mostly distribution issues and it's incentive issues. It's not it's not anything to do with the planet actually being able to sustain or not being able to sustain life. And I think that's where, like, you have the Elons of the world who who think the future is, you know, we're going to go to Mars. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. Whether we go somewhere or not, like, I don't think the answer is for our species to just be a cancer to this planet. Like, that's definitely not the right, right move. And
0: and to your point, it just goes back to the point that I was making earlier about the attitudes of the people with resources. Right. Like, it's kind of arrogant for Elon to say, okay. it's our right to go to Mars and destroy that planet the same way we're doing it because I have the money and resources to create that reality that's driven by the fear that the place that I live currently, it's not, it's, it's, it is, is. everybody gives this idea that's altruistic. It's not really. And he's probably not even recognizing it. It might even be in his head. He's thinking, oh, I'm doing what's best for society by creating this reality. But in reality, what he's doing is, he's he's operating out of the fear he himself feels for his future
1: yeah and i think like everyone wants to talk about this idea of like survival instinct and it's like it's i feel like it's so commonly accepted nobody gets pushed if they're like it's for humanity's survival nobody pushes no reporter no interviewee pushes past that question i think the next question to ask is like well should humanity survive? Is it important? And like, why are we so concerned about survival? And like that, I think that's a controversial thought because people are like, people will be furious to hear somebody say, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter if we survive or don't survive. But I think if you have a religious or spiritual set of beliefs, then you understand that this is one chapter of your journey and there's other chapters to be had. And however it ends or doesn't end, like it doesn't really matter, you know.
0: No, it doesn't, and I think that's an important question that people need to ask themselves. And I think that's a great place to put a button on this conversation because it's a conversation that's very layered um, and very personal, but it's also not personal, right? It's also something you need to think about from a perspective beyond your own. And I think you you put a good button on it. Like, why? Why are we? Why as human beings are we so obsessed? with the concept of survival and the survival instinct versus just understanding that we might have a time and place on this earth, just like the dinosaurs did.
1: Yeah. And I think honestly, bro, like it, it, it's a fun one. It's a fun one to discuss and, and think about, but moving forward, uh, we just saw history being made last night. We saw the Denver nuggets end up beating the Miami heat becoming the NBA champs for the first time in the franchise's history. Uh, Nikola Jokic, unbelievable player, unbelievable performance. The whole team did an amazing job. What was your reaction, V, as as you watched this game last night? And you know, I think we watched probably one of the most unique NBA Finals outcomes. Um, one that I I honestly don't think a lot of people expected, even though Denver was seen as the best team in the West from the beginning of the season.
0: Well, I'm very happy, Um, and I'll say why I'm happy. As as an NBA fan who kind of grew up in the 90s, kind of the the late 2000s shift in the cultural dynamics of the NBA were very upsetting to me, right? And I think culturally, sports, the reason a lot of someone like me resonates with sports is what they— speak to in terms of society at large, right? And what really was pleasant about this is the way that the Denver Nuggets built this team, right? Not just drafting Nikola Jokic with the 41st pick, adding Mike Malone as a coach, sticking with him, um, allowing him to build the franchise, developing Nikola Jokic, then adding Jamal Murray. And even when Jamal Murray went down to an injury that could have been career-threatening, they didn't move on. They stuck with the program and they finally reached the mountaintop. I mean, people have been shitting on this team and shitting on Nikola Jokic for being the two time MVP and not showcasing it in terms of their results. Um, And I think they took absorbed all of that, right? And they won and they conquered it. And this is a big thing in terms of like the difference in terms of why I feel like Michael Jordan is the GOAT more than LeBron James is because he went through the same. Of struggles in Chicago where he was getting his ass kicked by the, the Celtics and by the Pistons, where he couldn't even get to the finals. But instead of saying, Hey, this isn't working, I'm going to find someplace better or better situation, he stuck with it and, and kind of slayed that dragon. Um, and, and this isn't taking anything away from LeBron. I'm just saying, in terms of my personal viewpoint, that holds a lot of weight to me. And I think it's important also, a society. Kind of as we live in this this culture of when things get hard, let's let's find an alternative versus when things get hard, let's figure out how to solve the problem. I think the Denver Nuggets are a shining example of when things get hard, let's let's dig in and solve the problem. And Michael Porter is another example. This is a guy who's had chronic back issues that they stuck with and stuck it out with. It's just the culture of the team, the heat as well. There's zero technical fouls. In this series. Nobody on either team made this about themselves, right? And it showcased the power of what can be accomplished when you truly are selfless in your approach. You will get the individual accolades you deserve, and your team will also get the recognition it deserves in the process. And I think it's a very healthy takeaway for society to look at this series and look at these two teams and and, and have that be the takeaway, regardless of who won.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's spot on. That's spot on. We saw two amazing teams with amazing cultures and amazing personnel. Everyone was likable on both sides. And we just saw an amazing battle. We, I think, you know, you, you called this one basically exactly front to back, um, how it would play out. And I think, you know, a lot of people felt that way after watching Denver really dominate the Lakers This is a great team. And the thing that really surprised me, honestly, was Jokic's comments in the post game basically just like, does anyone like their job? No, I don't think so. Like talking about being basically the greatest player in the NBA. And that is different. You know, we don't see a lot of these like mountaintop type of talents who express just a lack of care in the world for being the greatest at what they do. And I think part of that's cultural. I think part of that's homesickness. I'm sure wanting to go back and see his family after an extended season. Um, but what were your what were your thoughts on um, how Jokic handled it specifically? You think he just wanted to shine the light a little bit elsewhere?
0: Yeah, I think um, a couple things on this. Right, like I said at the at the top of our playoffs special that Jokic has to earn the two MVP thing, the thing that hurt Steve Nash was the fact that he never translated that to a championship. You got to at least make the finals. Right. And so his approach to this and the reason that he reached the mountaintop is because he did look at this like a job and he said, okay, I'm not getting there. What do I need to do to get better? Okay. First step, I need to get in better shape. Second step, I need to improve in certain areas. So it was a process to get there. And so when it's accomplished, it wasn't, it's something to celebrate and he clearly celebrated with his teammates, but it was also an expression of the fact that the shit isn't easy, you know, and it's tiring, it's exhausting. And I got here and now that I got here and I did everything that you wanted me to do and I accomplished that. Give me my space and my what I want. Not not so much directed at other people, but the most important thing for him at the end of it all was to go back to having some peace of mind and be around something that doesn't involve that much pressure, right? He played through the season. He did everything he was supposed to do, and now he's like, okay, I don't want to be riddled with these obligations. He had another comment about man, when's the parade? Almost like I want to get this stuff over with because it's part of his job so I can get back to my life because I have to come right back to this in probably a few weeks. And I thought it was very refreshing. Um, And I think it's something that American culture can really look at and say, we've lost that, right? From the World War II kind of, World War II was kind of The peak of kind of that nationalism and then the civil rights movement um, within that that came in the 60s, the hippie movement. That was probably the last time that this country and, and the people within it looked at their responsibility to society in that way and didn't put themselves in this kind of separation that I'm any greater than anybody else. My role is to play basketball in the NBA. I do my job it's my responsibility as a citizen to do my job as best as I can. Cause I'm paid a lot of money to do it. And when I get the result, it's an, it's not something that, Oh, look at me now, look at me now. I'm the greatest thing ever. It's okay. I did my job. Let's move on. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think straight up, I, I appreciate like even Jimmy Butler too was saying the whole time, like, basketball is everything. It's something I do, but you know, I have other things I do. I want to go hang out with my daughter. I want to go watch a movie or, you know, whatever he was saying. And I think we are entering this era where the players are taking it upon themselves to say, Hey, like, stop making this so serious for us. It's not fun (laughs) when you make it like all about when you're trying to tie my legacy, my family, my personal life, all into whether I win or lose. That's not fun. Like this is my job. I come here to play game, but I'm separate from that. And it's, it's a healthy separation. And I think like having somebody like a Jokic uh, who does not want that kind of attention on him is a healthy thing for the NBA because we've had LeBron for the last 20 years, who has loved the attention on him and has built his whole empire off of being the center of attention. And you know, you're never going to see Jokic do space jam. You're never going to see him get involved in entertainment. You're going to see him go back to his horses and hang out with his family and never post about it on social media, and I think that there's something like really grounded about that that we do need as a society.
0: Yeah, and on the on the flip of it too is is the acceptance that life is hard. I think that's something that people really don't want to uh, reconcile. You know, being from where he's from, um, his family having gone through what they've gone through, and his his very close proximity to that it allows you to think that way, right? And there's also, you know, Jamal Murray, I don't want it to be all about Jokic. The Jamal Murray story within this is is amazing too. This guy was a guy that was written off, wasn't supposed to play basketball. And I know early in his career, he was getting a lot of uh, flack for his dad's kind of drill sergeant way in which he trained him and developed him. But the reality is, is if his dad was not hard on him, did not toughen him up the way that he did, he probably wouldn't have overcome that injury and returned to be the player that he is. And like, you know, I I hate to say, oh, the old times were better, but I do think that it is important for society. And it's the thing that bothers me the most is like, if it's not easy, it's not worth it. It seems to be the, you know, the par for course in terms of what's pushed. And it's like, I like, The fact that this team, the Miami Heat team, is kind of the opposite of that. It's like, no, this shit is hard. Accept it. But do the work that needs to be done to succeed and overcome the challenges that life presents.
1: Spot on. Spot on. And uh, speaking of the NBA Finals, there's one blooper that we absolutely have to take a look at. Um, In the previous game, I think game four in Miami... Um, good old Conor McGregor was there, made an appearance and, uh, he had a little scuffle. I think it was a planned scuffle with the heat mascot, but he knocked this dude out. And then when he was down, put another punch on his face, bro. This, this guy ended up in the hospital from (laughs) the punches (laughs) and it just, Oh my God. It was just one of the funniest things I've ever seen, to be honest. Like, what do you think when you saw that video for the first time?
0: Uh, first of all, I didn't realize. And I think he probably didn't realize he thought that the guy was protected by the fl- the mask, but he squared up and punched him as hard as he could. Like, yeah. and this is the, the overall storyline with Conor McGregor. And, you know, I don't want to be, you know, too, too mean here because, you know, yeah, I do have friends with relationships uh, with him. But I just think that this was just a poorly thought out idea, right? Because this guy has shown a history of kind of... Being on the edge of like not being able to control his rage, like you can't tell a guy that fights to the death for a living, hey, you know, don't punch as hard as you can. he's wired one way, you know what I mean <laughs> it's, and like, so, it's
1: like having it's like having Ray Lewis come on and tackle that mascot. It's not gonna end well,
0: they wouldn't have asked Mike Tyson to do this in the eighties; they were smarter <laughs> than that, you know what I mean, and so. I feel really bad for the mascot. He got caught up in this, but I think overall it's not the responsibility people want to say it's Conor McGregor's fault. No, it's the responsibility. They asked him to do something and he did it right.
1: Yeah. And it's a total accident. Like he probably feels horrible about this too.
0: Yeah. I'm sure he feels, it feels terrible about it. But at the end of the day, where does the responsibility on this fall? It falls on the people who came up with this idea and said, hey, it's a good idea to take a guy <laughs> to, who who fights UFC in the UFC to to punch our mascot square in the face. Yeah, let's do that as a... <laughs> they could have had him tackle him. They could have had him do a lot of different things, but to punch him square like... <laughs> have you not seen these ufc fights one punch knocks people out cold
1: you saw him you saw him like basically plant and when i saw the punch come from his hips i was like this this dude's going down
0: and not only that and this is the sad thing about this is that for the mascot right there are no damages he can collect because when he became the mascot he signs a waiver yeah against on everything, so there's no like nothing yeah i mean hopefully they paid for his hospital bills and everything like that, but that's the other thing like he he probably gets paid fifty k a year and <laughs> risk risked his life for this you know <laughs> what i mean
1: it's it's just such an absolutely hilarious scenario. Um, one of the, one of the other things that happened in sports, um, this week was, uh, you brought this one up V, but, uh, Pat Narduzzi called out Dion and his use of the transfer portal. Here's the quote. Um, that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not what the rule is intended to be. It was not to overhaul your roster. Um, basically he was throwing shade a little bit at Dion for the way that he utilized the transfer portal in Colorado to completely swap out the players and and get guys that he wanted all in one offseason. And um, Dion responded and says, uh, he's not mad at me. He's mad at the situation in football now that allowed his best player to leave a year ago. He's not mad at me. He's using me to shoot bullets at another coach who he has an issue with. I don't know who he is. If he walked in here right now, I wouldn't know him about Narduzzi, which is a hilarious, uh, but very, very great Dion quote. Um, what, what do you think about Dion's use of NIL? Is it something that people should be frustrated about? Or is this just somebody being salty because they didn't think of it first?
0: Yeah, it's, it seems to be the running theme, right? We find scapegoats for things that are not their fault. You cannot be mad at Deion Sanders for operating within the rules that exist. He didn't create those rules. The NCAA, which is filled with people who make a lot of money, allowed these rules to happen. They're very sloppy in their execution of NIL in the transfer portal rules. It, 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 again, it showcases the farce that college athletics is, which is they try to present this as we care about student athletes first. And the reality is they care about the bottom line first. And it's also unfortunate when a coach like Pat Narduzzi takes the bait. It is, Dion's comments were spot on. He's mad at Lincoln Lincoln Riley for coming in and poaching Jordan Addison and taking him to USC for his final year. Yeah, he's, he's mad at Lincoln Riley for for what Lincoln Riley has done over the past two seasons. But it's very odd and awkward that he would take the shot at Deion Sanders and not Lincoln Riley, right? Um, <laughs> and and I love Dion's comments on it. Um, and I think you know some of this is just. Uh, um you know displaced displaced anger and I think he said it correctly but overall I think it's also important to highlight the fact that Deion Sanders was hired and paid a lot of money to take Colorado from a one in 11 team they were one in 11 last year and he has the immense pressure of getting results immediately if they go two and 11 I mean two and ten this year Dion is going to face the brunt of the blame for that. And so he came in and and he was, when you look at that article extensively, he said, I tried to instill and let the guys know that there was going to be a cultural shift in this program when I got here and that you could either embrace the culture or you were going to be pushed out the door. And he said, right after that meeting, he went into a position meeting and they were playing music really loudly and like vibing out. He's like, that's not what meetings are for. That's not. And he's like, I knew immediately. He's like, when the results have to be quickly, he doesn't have the luxury of time to fix people. It's better to, then it's the same thing that he have done. The nuggets have done if they don't fit your culture, you have to get them out and you have to bring the other culture in. All those kids could transfer to other schools and get opportunities elsewhere. And it's not like they were left out to dry. And I hate this this sentiment overall that Deion Sanders is this this you know terrible terrible guy now that i have the context of the situation because there was a point where i was like it's kind of fucked up to like take these guys who moved to 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 colorado and said i want to be a part of this program for four years but there's an obligation and a standard that you have you have as a player and i like that dion is setting that standard and i see no issue with what he's doing, considering the context and responsibility he actually has as the head football coach of Colorado.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And like the purpose of this rule is to allow players to move around, to not have to take that year off and to make money from it. Right. And I think it puts the same pressure now on the programs to be a level of successful, to recruit the kind of talent they want, to bring boosters and capital around. So I think this is just a very natural consequence of the NIL rule change and and what that created for the sport of football. In college football specifically, I think this is a huge win for the players because yes, players got pushed out of Colorado, but would you really want a worse product on the field because people were trying to be nice about feelings? Like this is the sport of football. This is not, you know, this is not... (laughs) like a even dance class is more cutthroat than this. You know what I mean? Like this is very normal for a sport to get cut if you're not up to par. And like the, the reality is like all of those players who are part of being one in 11, what, like what did they do to earn their spot on a team that's trying to go 11 and one or 12 and zero? right. And that to me is like where I agree with you. I, I think Dion's very within his rights. I'm also somebody who's a very big lover of people who bring intense, hard cultural change to an organization because one, it's not easy to do. You're usually the bad guy when you come in and you change things up. So you and I have both been in that situation multiple times in our lives professionally, and we've dealt with the consequences of it. So I, I I also am a person who has very little, tol- very little tolerance for weak-minded individuals. If you have a strong mind, you're willing to put in the work ethic, you'll always achieve your goals. But if you have a weak mind and you don't have that tenacity to put in the work, I don't have time for you. And neither should Dion.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, the reality for those players, he gave them all the opportunity to nut up, basically, because... They also made the decision to transfer because they didn't want to deal with it, you know, because I, I guarantee well, part of what Dion was doing from a psychological standpoint was seeing who the toughest, who was built to win, who was built because it's not easy to win Your Your Colorado isn't a college football powerhouse. We see it's the same four teams that make the final every year. This is a hard mountain to climb. And you have to appreciate the difficulty of that. You can't, like you said, you can't spare anyone's feelings. And at the end of the day, it's strict liability. If Dion doesn't win, no one's going to feel sorry for him when he gets fired. Obviously, being fired as a college football coach is much better than being fired in any other profession (laughs) because he'll get all of his salary. But I mean... He doesn't need the money he's not doing this for the money. he's doing this to prove that he's capable of being one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. That's what he's chasing
1: yeah i couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, and I think when you look at the kids that that play for him, they're quality kids. The culture he instills is is a quality culture. it's one that teaches people their own power and it empowers them to take control of their own lives and I think like when you have a program. Anyone who's who's feeling like entitled to their spot shouldn't have their spot. You have to earn that spot every single day. That's in sports. It's in life. And, you know, I think like we could use a little bit more like you were talking about the old days kind of culture, right? Like we could use a little bit more of that attitude in today's country because everyone's so entitled about I deserve this. I deserve that. OK, well, what if you what have you done to earn it?
0: Yep. And I think the exodus, you know, of of kids from Colorado is a reflection of that changing culture, right? Of like once you become a star athlete you know, that entitlement that comes into play and like the inability to handle things when things get tough. Um, And the reality is it's very, very difficult if you want to become a professional football player, less than 1% of college football players make it. So even if you don't make it, imagine if you don't have the attitude that's required to make it, right? Like, and that, the the reason these kids left is because they couldn't take it when the heat, you know, I'm sure some of them, some of them, probably wanted to be there and they were forced out as well because he didn't want them on the roster. But at the end of the day, if they take that mentality and that chip on their shoulder to the next program, their overall football outcome will be better than it would have been if they would have continued at Colorado anyways.
1: Yeah. Spot on. Um, Moving forward, we have uh, another huge sports story. Uh, Lionel Messi, international soccer phenom has just announced that he is going to continue his career in Miami for David Beckham's team. Um, This is huge, man. This is huge for the MLS. This is huge for uh, the sport of soccer in the United States, having a legend like Messi come over here to play. Um, What was your reaction when you heard the news?
0: Uh, I went and tried to find a way to get some tickets because, you know, (laughs) if you know me, this is my favorite, um, favorite soccer player of all time um football uh football or soccer however you want to call it and it's just um and he's he's 38 but he's still in his prime right and i just thought that this was this was an amazing just an amazing amazing um coup for david beckham in the mls obviously um You know, Messi turned down a three-year, $1.6 billion deal in Saudi Arabia to come to Miami and close out his career because he thought that that was what was best for his family. It's not like he needed the money. He's getting paid a a lot of money here. It's almost $60 million because of the Apple rights deal. I think he's getting a percentage of that um, as well. Um, and for David Beckham to take this inner Miami team, when you look at the the sheer numbers already, um, before Messi signing, they had 1 million followers on Instagram. Now they have 5.5 million, which is more than any NFL major league, um, major league baseball or um, team in the war in, in the country already. So that shows you the size of the impact of this individual and the size of the impact of getting a global superstar like Messi, because regardless of where he plays, people are going to tune in. Now it's the responsibility of the MLS to raise the bar in terms of the quality of the team. Like we've had this issue before Zlatan has come over Beckham has come over, but there's not going to be any competitive Messi's going to score like five or six goals every game if he wants to. Um, but it's going to bring people into the sport. And I think because it brings people into the sport, um, we, we will see a growth overall of, of the sport within the U S
1: yeah. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't agree more, man. Couldn't agree more. And I think when it comes to what it means for, for the sport of soccer in America, we've never had this kind of talent. Like me, me as somebody who, you know, I've never, I've never gone to Europe and I've never seen a game over there, but for me to be able to go to Miami or honestly to any of the teams that he's playing when he's over here, to be able to see somebody of that caliber, dude, that's, that's the opportunity of a lifetime. And I think like, For a fan base like we have here for the sport of soccer, one that's growing very rapidly as well. Not only does it put Messi in the hearts and the minds of the american people but i think it also gives him an opportunity if he wants it in franchise ownership in the mls down the line i think that could be a trend that we see with these european players as they come over is just like beckham i think even in the sport he laid the blueprint over there but coming over here finishing out your career we saw zlatan ibrahimovic do that and then potentially buying a franchise or whatever that looks like but man, I love it. It's, it's huge for the sport of soccer. And it's just like an amazing, amazing thing to see somebody like Messi. And yeah, I'm definitely going to find a way to watch him in person. Like that's a dream come true, dude.
0: Yeah, you definitely gotta get us some of those galaxy tickets when he, when he comes out there.
1: Exactly. So, um, jumping forward, we have to, we have to talk about, um, the, the real joker, one or the other, uh, Novak Djokovic, um, winning his 23rd grand slam at the French open this weekend. One of the things, um, that's been interesting is, is the fact that he and, um, now I'm getting mixed up in my jokers, but he and, uh, Nikola Jokic are from the same home country. If I'm, if I'm correct there and they don't really have a relationship with each other, which is kind of funny Um, but they're both incredibly dominant in their sports. So I think, you know, the question is, is it the letters in their name? Is it the Joker kind of nickname? Like what's, what's going on over there?
0: Well, I'm glad that, uh, that Novak isn't taking the approach that Shaq took to Dwight Howard when, (laughs) when Dwight Howard wore the (laughs) Superman, it like started a lifelong beef between the two of them. Uh, (laughs) It seems like Novak is taking this much more in stride. I think he roots for Nicola, um, but I, I look at this as you've got, you know, when you look at the movie history, you have, you know, two iconic Jokers, right? The Jack Nicholson uh, uh, Joker and the Heath Ledger Joker, and I would say that Nicola's the Heath Le- Heath, Heath Ledger Joker, and Novak is uh, <laughs> is more like a Jack when he played Joker, two great Two great people who are worthy of the, both worthy of the nickname. So ironic that they're from the same country. And it's just amazing to see them both. And just to take a moment with Novak here. Um, he broke the record for most Grand Slams uh, ever uh, this weekend by winning the French Open. He's not slowing down. Um, It's kind of unfortunate to see in tennis now that Nadal and Federer's retired, Nadal's getting close to retirement, really looking forward to seeing who that tennis player is that's actually going to step up and take this from him. I don't want it to be because he gets old, somebody just replaces him. I want somebody to come around. It might be this kid, Alcarez, who come around and really take the throne from Novak the same way that he did with Nadal and Federer
1: yeah I, and I gotta say, I think tennis is one of those sports just like golf that's in danger of losing losing yes. its establishment in the structure because when you have these kind of pivotal periods where the the generation of players is aging out, like we just talked about it with Messi in terms of you know, the Euro leagues, their dominance. There's that Saudi League obviously that Ronaldo went to. He turned that down, came to the MLS as these other leagues rise, as there's more parity in the options that the players have, it's really changing the dynamic of a lot of these sports. And, you know, seeing that happen in golf was like something that I, I just like never expected in terms of how things would play out in, you know, in, in with the PGA's dominance over up until that point with tennis, like, Do you think that we're at a point if there isn't somebody that that really is captivating? I know Nick Kyrgios is probably like the most like marketable guy that, you know, is in this in the sport. And then on the women's side, you have Naomi Osaka as well as, you know, a few other players on the women's side. But um, do you think that that there's an opportunity here for tennis to kind of fall off a little bit?
0: There definitely is. If you look at golf, right, like you need to have that like. In individual sports, I think it's very important to have that Goliath, right? In every every era, there has to be that Goliath or a couple of Goliaths, right? In the last generation, we had Nadal and Federer. And for a period, we had Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic. But if you look at golf, since Tiger Woods kind of has fallen off of the mountaintop, it's like that dominant force, golf isn't nearly as popular outside of like hardcore golf fans, there's nobody that's kind of taken that rein. Rory Mal- Rory was supposed to be it. He didn't do it. You know, I think we've had a few people, folks, but you need somebody or a handful of people. On the women's side, like of tennis, Naomi Osaka obviously doesn't necessarily have the mental wherewithal, and this isn't knocking her to handle the pressures of the sport, and I, I'm glad that she recognized it and stepped away from the sport, but that doesn't help her case of becoming the next Serena Williams, right? So, because that's not there, there isn't that face in tennis on the male or female side since Serena left of who is that person that everyone else is going to chase and right now it's Novak but he's 36 years old and like when Novak is done what happens to men's tennis right like Novak the reason that Novak is as good as he is is he he came out and said I want to be the greatest tennis player of all time that was his stated goal now I think and 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 we we're in an era where there really is more of a, a a concern about more than that, right? We saw it with Simone Biles in the Olympics. We saw it with Naomi Osaka in tennis. Like to be the greatest, it takes a specific type of mentality, and I don't know if that mentality exists in either golf or tennis right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree completely. Now, it just makes you wonder where are the athletes going, right? Are they, are they ending up in football and basketball? Like, you know, where, where are the athletes going? And I think in today's generation, at least from what I'm seeing, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who wants to be a pro golfer to the extent that people want to be a pro basketball or pro football player.
0: Yeah. I mean, these sports are hard. Like Simone Biles, I fully understand why she had to take that break because the pressure of being the greatest in the world in an individual sport is very very difficult so it takes a lot of mental conditioning and novak wasn't this way always he struggled early just like nick did he had emotional issues you know and you're seeing it with nick Kyrgios. he's probably the most ten- talented tennis player i think this has more to do with the fact that people need to understand when they sign their kid up For tennis, and they want to be great at it or golf, what that comes with, and the pressure has to be accepted and embraced, not run from. Mental health is something that's very, very important, but you can't say, oh, You know, I'm going to be the greatest individual player in a sport and then say, but, you know, I I need to always be, you know, love, you know, love always needs to come my way. I always need to be happy. The truth is, you're not going to be happy all the time. The shit is hard as hell. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be I wouldn't want to be the greatest tennis player in the world and deal with that deal with that pressure. That's why I'm not in that sport. You know, I mean.
1: Yeah, a 100 percent, man, A 100 percent. And uh, we're on to our last topic before we wind it down. Um, the, this is a, a semi-political book a topic. It's about the book bans and all the drama around books. Um, but Illinois is the first state now to pass a law that prevents books from being banned at the library. Um, I thought this was interesting because I didn't even know till I read this article that people wanted to ban books at the library, which doesn't really make sense. Like the, There's an argument for schools that i think is valid on both sides but when you get to like libraries you're starting to get a little bit into some fahrenheit 451 type stuff you know um what's your view overall on uh on all this drama like do you think it's do you think there's really people like i've never met somebody out here that's like Oh, like we need to stop having that book in the library. Like I've seen politicians like use rhetoric like that to try and rally folks. But I didn't realize like there were people who were actually like serious about trying to ban books. And they're
0: spending money to like facilitate the ban in in our political realm. This, the whole thing is everything about society is very, very annoying to me right now. These large scale issues because... The same people who, who want to ban books and ban certain education in schools are the same people that won't let you take their guns away. Like, don't you see, like, you want, free, you want the freedom to do whatever you want, but you also want to be able to dictate what other people do and don't do. And I just find that to be very troubling and annoying. So I just tune out a lot of, a lot of, these, a lot of these conversations because everybody's being hypocritical, in them right and that's that's the thing also with books specifically i didn't even know people still went to the library i mean you and i have had this conversation we would probably have a lot healthier society if everybody used the one resource that's one of the best things that the government does with our dollars is create these centers within every culture and every city in which if you you have an opportunity to go educate yourself, train yourself on a new skill, get better at something, and put yourself in a position to better yourself at no cost to yourself. You just need to be a local citizen of that city or that that county and it's been disheartening to see how much that culture has been taken away. I don't, I don't know how many, I mean, there's select parents who send their kids to the library, but it's like, why would we attack that in any way? And then you have the freedom of choice within a library. As a parent, you can determine if there's a book you don't want your kid to read. It's not society's obligation to set that standard. It's you as a parent. It's you as a librarian, right? Like they're not the librarians that I grew up with. They wouldn't go let me check out a copy of Playboy uh, from the library at seven years old or or, or it, it's 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 pretty simple, you know? Like, I feel like we want all these rules set because we don't want to police ourselves and be responsible ourselves for, for our own responsibilities.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, with online content, for example, like to look at stuff beyond PG, you have to be 13, right? Same with film PG 13, 13 is a fine age for you to be able to read or consume any sort of information that you want. And then there's another cutoff at 17, right? If stuff is just super, super explicit, and I think that's another great cutoff that we already have built into the way we operate, but just because we're moderating things based on what somebody's ready to consume critically, right like we don't want we don't want to brainwash anybody we We need people to read whatever they want, but be able to like separate themselves from what they're reading. So you know knowing developmental ages is a big thing, but I think beyond that, like it doesn't make sense to ban anything. You should want everybody to be well-versed on everyone else's positions and worldviews, because that's the only way you can have your own complete worldview that you've built for yourself is, is to truly understand how other people operate. So that's, that's my overall take on, on the book banning and stuff. Like I've been, um, I've been definitely an advocate of restricting like you know, gender related things to like a sex ed class, when that sex ed class happens, like it doesn't need to happen in math class. It doesn't need to happen in summer reading. Like the whole purpose of school is to educate your mind on like math, biology, like history, like, and history can contain some elements here, here and there of, you know, what causes people are fighting for, but my, my overall view is like it's not about banning something or not banning something, it's about having a conversation about when in someone's life is the right time for them to be able to think critically about something.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, and that, and you, you, you really um explained this well like it is, it is society's responsibility to understand how the human mind develops and when people are prepared to handle things. I do, I don't. I don't, I think with the way that society is shifting, it is important for kids that are teenagers to understand sexuality in a much different way than we did because it's harder for me to understand all of these things, like, you know, non binary and all of these things, because I didn't grow up understanding that that was a part of society. So I think there is value. It's just about when it is banning it entirely. That's taking a position based on your your, your personal views on the topic. It's not based on what's best, right? It's just putting people in a position to digest information when they should, and when they're capable of critically analyzing and thinking about it, not being able to be manipulated by it.
1: Yeah. And, and to add to that, uh, you know, I think this is where a lot of people, um, a lot of people miss is that Not only should we be teaching these topics about society, we should be deeply teaching what Christianity is about, what Judaism is about, what Islam is about, what Hinduism is about, what Taoism is about, what what Stoicism is about. We should be teaching all of the different ways of life that exist. It's not just about educating people on the most trendy progressive way of life, but it's about educating people on all the major ways of life and some of the minor ones.
0: 100%, 100%. I think... That puts a good a good button on this topic as well. I feel like we, we discussed a lot here, hit a lot of different areas uh, on this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and always stay moving. Get up, Be you. It Pilot so
1: cool. wow, Boys out.